Former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson testified before the House Intelligence Committee this morning that it's a fact, plain and simple, that the Russian government, at the direction of Vladimir Putin himself, orchestrated cyber attacks on the U.S. in 2016 for the purpose of influencing the presidential election. Johnson said last fall there was a growing list of states where Homeland saw scanning and probing around voter registration databases. In at least one or two instances, the effort was successful at an intrusion. So there was a growing list, and we saw the scope of this activity expanding as time progressed. And then eventually, in January, we were in a position to say that this, this activity itself was also uh, the Russian government. Johnson says Russian cyber attacks are going to get worse before they get better. And at this time, those on the offense, the Russians, have the upper hand. Joining me are Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid, and William Banks, director of the Institute for National Security and Counterterrorism at Syracuse Law School. Brad, Johnson described in detail how they saw the growing Russian probing around voter registration databases. So they had the knowledge, yet they didn't seem to have the ability to do anything about it. And do they yet? Well, and this is unfortunately part of the way we've set up our electoral system is that it's set up uh, in a decentralized manner and controlled by the states. We don't have a quote-unquote national election. We actually have 50 individual state elections, and each state has its own uh, rules for handling them based on the county and the local level. So what the former secretary was describing was they were attempting, and there was some pushback from the individual states, they were attempting to coordinate with the states to raise these concerns and to find a mechanism by which DHS could provide assistance and to ensure the stability and the safety of the electoral process without infringing upon the state's sovereign rights to run their election process in accordance with state laws. And I think that's part of the problem we're going to always have going forward. You heard it in the secretary's testimony. There was a lot of pushback, a lot of concern about federal overreach into the electoral process. And I don't know if there is a necessarily silver bullet to fix it. Certainly the designation as critical infrastructure by the former secretary and the reaffirmation of that by the current secretary of DHS, I believe, was a good move. But we're always going to have some level of vulnerability given the way the decentralized manner in which we conduct elections. Bill, at the Senate Intelligence Committee, where they had hearings on the same issue, the Undersecretary for Cybersecurity at DHS said there's evidence that 21 state election systems were targeted. Johnson said that what he knows from open source is that 39 states were hacked. Do you know the number, and why is the Department of Homeland Security still not willing to disclose which state election systems were hacked? Well, uh, the number I've read in the media is 39 as well. I probably read the same reports that, that Johnson did. And I, I, I think it's, uh, as Brad said, these are, these are 50 separate systems. And so it's, it's up to the states to decide whether to uh, reveal the extent to which their systems have been uh, threatened or intruded upon. I think one of the key points here is, is sort of ironic, even though, uh, the offense has got the upper hand, as you said in your lead-in. The fact that we have such a, uh, a federalized system here with such a, a wide stratification of election layers and officials down to the county level actually makes our system more resilient. It's harder to damage uh, the thousands of jurisdictions where our elections are conducted and held. Brad, 
Johnson said that he was not happy that the DNC would not allow them to help, even though the DNC had been in, in contact with the FBI. Is there any reason why the DNC would allow them to help when I, how much help could they give? Well, yeah, I mean, this, and this, it was kind of a, go, a back and forth in terms of whether or not the DNC should have turned over the server or if providing the analysis by, I believe it was called CrowdStrike or CloudStrike, whatever the name of the third-party vendor was who did the analysis, was sufficient. The one, under, the one issue in how I understand my view of why DN, the DNC was probably hesitant was the same reason corporations are hesitant in general whenever asked to provide data. It's proprietary data. So, yes, there is a... You know, an abstract concept of, well, why wouldn't they just hand over the server to the FBI and DHS so that they could fully, you know, investigate and conduct a forensic analysis? On the other hand, if it's DNC, you've got your own interest, your own proprietary interest in protecting that data, and you're going to have reservations about handing it, handing it over to a government entity. And I think that's kind of what played out here to the detriment of the DNC. I've been talking with Bradley Moss, partner at Mark Zaid, and William Banks, director of the Institute for National Security and Counterterrorism at Syracuse Law School, about former Homeland Sec- Secretary, uh, Security Secretary Jay Johnson's testimony this morning before the House Intelligence Committee, his testimony about the cyber vulnerabilities in our election infrastructure itself. Bill, last week there was a data breach, a Republican National Committee data breach that led to the exposure of 198 million voter files, including names, mailing addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, etc. That's just about the entire registered voter list in the U.S. And the third-party vendor involved in the breach uh, said it was accepts full responsibility. If we have breaches like this, what hope is there for there to be any uh, any security? That's certainly a bad one. And, it, you know, it, it, it reminds us that the first layer of defense here are the electoral systems themselves. They need better uh, security. And the, and the security can't come from the federal government or be imposed by the federal government. Uh, it has to be developed on a state-by-state basis and sometimes even at lower levels of government. Security systems are there. In the case last week, it was simply uh, simple sloppiness that allowed the, the breach to occur. So the public officials and their, and their hardware and software need to be uh, top-notch, but also the people who are managing the systems need to be well-trained and need to be very vigilant. Let's uh, turn our focus now to another part of the Russia investigation, and that's uh, Michael Flynn. It's hard to believe, Brad, that Flynn was only the national security advisor for 25 days because he seems to be near the center of every investigation of Russian interference. Um, He publicized his request for immunity. His attorney wrote that General Flynn certainly has a story to tell. And Senator Sheldon Whitehouse told MSNBC that he suspects Flynn is already cooperating with the FBI. If that is happening, is there a problem with giving him, I suspect they gave him some kind of immunity. Isn't that problematic for the other investigations? Well, the immunity that would be granted would be coming from the FBI in the sense that they would be most likely striking a plea deal, for lack of a better term, in terms of they've agreed between the parties, between the FBI and Mr. Flynn's attorney, 
that Mr. Flynn will ultimately probably plead guilty to some lower-level offenses, most likely issues in terms of uh, his answers to the FBI investigators and on his security clearance paperwork where he appeared to have provided false or misleading information. And in, in response, they will make sentencing, sorry, sentencing recommendations, and they'll allow him to provide extensive additional details on whatever he knows, whatever he was involved in, while with the campaign that may be relevant to the Russia investigation without him having to worry about incriminating himself and facing additional criminal liability. This is a common tactic by law enforcement to basically go for the smaller fish, pick up what information you can, strike a plea deal with them so they plead to some lower offense and use it if you see something as a larger, more tantalizing uh, target going down the line. And that's always what we've been wondering here is, were there just certain rogue officials within the campaign doing stupid things, or is there something more to this? And I think we're going to have to wait a while, probably months, if not a year or two, until we truly have the answer to that question. Bill, explain the difference between what the FBI is investigating and what Mueller is investigating. Well, the FBI is <clears throat> continuing a counterintelligence investigation, still trying to learn what happened uh, with regard to the Russians. And, and Mueller, of course, is also, as Brad's comments just suggested, he's in investigating the, uh, the implication that the Trump campaign or Trump officials, administration officials, were somehow uh, colluding in this enterprise. So I have to remember that they're both executive branch investigations. We're not talking about the congressional investigations here. So both are prosecutorial in that sense, but they have a, a fairly different focus. And there's there are also um, officials apparently at the FBI, uh, Brad, the CIA, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and the Department of Justice agreed in January, and we heard some of the testimony that Flynn posed a problem. Yet the CIA continued to share sensitive intelligence with him. A Trump administration official told The New York Times that the CIA director, Mike Pompeo, did not share the agency's concerns with the president. Do you see a problem with security on different levels with this administration? I, I'm hesitant to say it's you mean, how is it to say that it's something extraordinary out of the usual in terms of how they're handling it, only because we're so new with this one and we don't quite know if they're just getting their sea legs? I will say that the fact that someone who several agencies viewed as compromised and subject to blackmail was allowed to maintain his access to classified information and continue sitting in on meetings discussing our most sensitive national security secrets sets off a lot of red flags about whether the officials, particularly the senior officials in this White House, are doing their proper due diligence in safeguarding classified information. You know, I could certainly say that for one of my clients who is being viewed as subject to blackmail to the extent that Mr. Flynn was, their access would have been immediately suspended pending further investigation. There have been counterintelligence polygraphs and all manner of things before they were ever allowed back into a room with classified information. The president, of course, can override any of that, but I don't get the sense the president knew about it. And I don't even know yet, and this is what the New York Times story didn't truly flesh out, I don't know if Pompeo didn't tell him because he decided it wasn't something the president didn't need to know or because Pompeo himself didn't know. We don't know how compartmentalized this information right. was. We will, have to, we will have out. to leave it at that for today. Thank you, Brad Moss, partner at Mark Zaid, and William Banks, director of the Institute for National Security and Counterterrorism at Syracuse Law School.